Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganella. We took a bit of a hiatus there, but we are, are back and talking Everton again. And of course, joined by Chris and Adam as always. And guys, a bit of a break, so we have a lot to go over, but we must start with the most recent and the Newcastle game. Do we have to? Like, are you sure that we have to? I, I mean, I think now you guys that we're- just. Just want to start a book club, maybe, or like watch a yeah. movie and just talk yeah. about it while people can't see it. What you, I mean, what are we doing here? We go on hiatus. They beat Cardiff. We draw Liverpool. We decide we're going to come back, and that happens. So is it our fault? Because if it's our fault, we can stop. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're open to any and all options right now. You know, if anybody can figure this one out, that would be really. Yeah, I, I'm considering sacrificing a goat uh, before the Chelsea match. <laughs> It literally, anything is on the table right now because it seems like, you know, whenever things are going right, something always has to go wrong. And it was a difficult one this weekend. And, and you know, let's start with the good. Let's let's start off on a good note here. Start off with the good from Saturday. And Everton was up to nothing at halftime. And outside of the Newcastle penalty, which is an obvious mistake, we're in pretty good control of this game. What did Everton do well in the first half? And Adam, we'll start with you. I, I think the the major thing that we saw in the first half was the connection between Bernard, who was playing out on the left, and Luca Digne, and Gilfie, who was kind of shading to that side as well. And we saw a lot of dangerous opportunities get generated from the three of those players working really, really well together. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've talked before about Everton's wingers and Marco Silva's use of them. And, and, you know, that connection between those three players was something that we haven't necessarily seen a lot of, of really good interplay between one of Everton's creative wingers and, and Dinya, at least not, not as much as we might like. So I think obviously that's what created the, the first goal. It, the second goal came from down the right, but it was good to see a real spark of creativity for a prolonged period of, from a team that's uh, been bereft of that uh, more often than we'd care to admit. Yeah, and the other aspect somewhat related to that, but not totally, is I thought Dominic Calvert-Lewin, at least for 45 minutes, probably had his best his best match of the season. And you can even – I would even say that just taking the goal away from him, um, he was really outstanding holding the ball up and harassing Newcastle defenders and, and just really getting involved in the play. And of course he, he obviously took that header really well. It's easy to forget sometimes how good he is in the air, but that was really encouraging to me. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, Adam down the left was, they were playing some pretty football down the left and some creative plays. There were, you know, little flick ons or little movements that were finding open players. And, you know, it was probably some of the best, flowing football that we've seen from this Everton team in a while. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, Bernard, for most of this season, Bernard has been best used off the bench. And, you know, when I saw, again, that, that he got to start over Lookman on that left-hand side before the match, you know, I kind of I absolutely, you know, grumbled to myself, said, oh, you know, I want to see Lookman. And, and I do still want to see Lookman. But, I mean, you know, that, that was easily Bernard's best performance in a starting role uh, that we've seen this year, and that's that's encouraging that that you know that we're still seeing guys making strides forward even as you know the season itself kind of stagnates. 
Yeah, and it's for Bernard, it wasn't just against Newcastle. I mean, I thought he was really good against Cardiff. He was good again against Liverpool in really demanding circumstances. Um, I, I was down on the guy for most of the year, but I've, I've been pleased with how he's come on recently and think that, you know, he, he's going to he's gonna last a while here, hopefully. Yeah, definitely seen some good things from him. And, and, you know, there were encouraging things in the first half. But then again, we all know the story. We all know exactly what happened. Things fell apart in the final 45 minutes. And Everton lose this game 3-2. to two. And, Chris, we'll go to you on this one first. The million-dollar question, what went wrong? Well, I think it would be easier to ask what didn't go wrong. Um, <laughs> there, there's kind of a laundry list, right? Like Jordan Pickford uh, spills a shot. Uh, I can't remember. I think that was maybe the third goal. The second. Um, the second, yeah, for the yeah. equalizer. And he's kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And basically from the the first whistle of the match, Marco Silva's substitution patterns continued to be confusing. Um, you know, when, when Newcastle is starting to bring a bunch of this pressure in the second half, he elects to throw on Gary Mina, which, you know, good for Gary. He's, he needs some game time. But in my mind, the better response to just strapping in and buckling up and saying, okay, come at us. We're just going to bunker this would be try to push back and force it the other way because you had a ton of success doing that in the first half. But instead, Silva wants to, you know, just kind of soak up the pressure. And he he wasn't even fully committed to that bit because Morgan Schneiderlin remained on the bench. Yeah, and, and I think it's a, it's a tough spot for Yeri Mina, who I think, you know, we've said multiple times when we've seen and him. And he, he looked fine, by the way. Now, I don't remember anything really being his fault. I yeah, but we've we've said of Mina in the past that he is has has looked a little uncomfortable in a back three, and it's just an adjustment. It's different, and you know you're going to take a guy who's been out for six weeks, put him into a game in the 70th minute where he can't really get into the flow of it in a configuration that is is clearly not what he's most comfortable with. It's certainly not what he's been doing at Barcelona or with his national team at Colombia, uh, and that's just questionable to me. Uh, in, in addition to the substitutions, I think that there was a trend um, from the start of the game, and this is a trend we've seen in a lot of games, that despite all of the good things that Everton was doing on the left-hand side through uh, through Bernard and, and Dinya, we still saw Everton forcing the ball uh, down the right in the, in the attack. A stupid, just idiotic amount when you think about the differences between Richarlison and John Joe Kenny on the right and what was available on the left. And we've said it a million times about Richarlison and it, it remains true. The guy knows how to score goals. Well, you saw, you saw the good and the bad from him all in, all in one match today, right? He pops up at the exact right moment to hammer home a ball, a loose ball. And the rest of the game, he's flitting all over the place and can't, can, he can't complete a pass. No, and, and that's and it's exactly why you want him on the off ball side. You want to be playing down the side opposite him and giving him opportunities to sneak in behind defenders, to pop up in the right place, to get up and, and get on the end of a couple of crosses because he's good in the air for a guy of his size. And instead, we're still looking at almost 50 percent uh, of the attacking uh, attacking third possession being in the right hand channel. Uh, and it certainly doesn't help 
when you start to face pressure that you're trying to force it down a wing where you know there's going to be problems. And and I didn't think that John Joe Kenny was particularly bad in, in this game either. Obviously forced in, in late with Seamus Coleman's injury. Uh, you know, I thought he was fine, but there just needs to be a recognition of, of who he is and who Richarlison is. And neither of those guys are guys that you want to be playing progressively or playing creatively through. Yeah, and, and just to your point about the wingers and kind of tying back into the sub, the issue with the substitutions, uh, at, at one point, I think after we went down 3-2, Theo Walcott, Bernard, Richarlison were all on the field at the same time, or not Richarlison, I'm sorry, uh, Adamola Lookman were all on the field at the same time, and I don't know how that's supposed to make sense. Like, what is Marco Silva hoping to accomplish with his two creative wingers, one off-ball winger, and a striker on the field at the same time. And uh, I'll be honest, the uh, the the last sub that he made, uh, I completely lost my shit. Uh, the the last move that he makes, so we give up that goal to to go down one, and and he wants to bring on Walcott, and, you know, and there's there's ways in which that that could have theoretically made sense, uh, because we're we're in a back five, so instead of just taking off one of the center backs and say, okay, we'll just go back to a standard back four. He, he takes off Kenny and he pushes Kurt Zuma out to right back. What the hell purpose does that serve? And twice in, in stoppage time, the ball got to Zuma on the right wing and he was, uh, you know, moving forward as if he was a right back. But then the ball gets to his feet and he's still Kurt Zuma. And how you could not see that as a manager is impossible for me to comprehend. And it's, it's, it's the little things with Silva that we harp on sometimes, but that's just basic. It's managerial mispractice to be from the off saying, mm, you know what? We need a goal. We've got five minutes to get it. Let me put my center back at right back. It's completely asinine that he could make such a basic mistake at this stage of the season. Well, especially considering how much he relies on his fullbacks to get involved in the attacking play. And, I think and especially on a wing where he's playing with Theo Walcott, who, as we've talked about before, is not a is like Richarlison, not a guy that you want to be playing through. You need somebody there that's going to be able to take the creative burden away from him. And what do you know? It's not Kurt Zuma. Yeah. And and, and, and to the point about the substitutions, you look at the going to the back five, right? And obviously, at the moment, it doesn't seem like a terrible terrible decision. We're up two nothing, and you know, things could still, those things are still in our favor, but you look at that substitution he takes for Charleston off to put on Mina. And then as the, as we go on, we go down one or whatever. I think it was down one or we tied, the game was tied uh, when he brought on Lookman. And I'm pretty sure Lookman came in for Bernard. Yeah. That, and, that, that substitution actually wound up, ha- they were, they had it prepared. Lookman yeah. for Bernard, but Perez actually got the third uh, as Lookman was prepped to come in. That was and, the stoppage that brought him into the game, but he was already set to come in for Bernard, I think. But still, at at that point, you take off the winger, so now you're left with how you're going to get Lookman in the game. you got to take off the other winger, and Bernard yeah. was fantastic the whole game. You're taking off one of your best players throughout the whole 90 minutes, and you need to go score a goal. It just, you know, yeah. it, it, like you said, it's the little things. It's the little things. That, it's, you know, it may not have seemed crazy, but it ended up being ridiculous. Yeah, and, and it's, it's both the little things and the big things, because again, I, I think that that's, <laughs> it, it should be, you know, managering 101. 
hey, I've got this creative player who's already helped to set up one goal today, and he's looked maybe the best he's looked all season. I should probably keep him out there because we need a goal. Yeah. That that shouldn't need explaining, and I don't think it really falls under the category of a little thing because, I mean, how much more basic can you get? Uh, yeah. And then it didn't end up mattering because everything we did in the last 10 minutes went down the right-hand side anyway and then died in the feet of Kurt Zuma. <sighs> it was, you know, it was, like like you said, just, just poor managing at the end. I mean, granted, you know, after giving up the first goal, the players obviously didn't look, um, you know, you, you could tell it was shaky at that point. And, and, you know, that obviously goes into changing formation and all that other stuff. But still, I think we all can agree that there were some managerial mistakes made that probably cost us the game in the end uh, and cost us a a even a point here. And But there's a there's one person I think we need to talk about that was on the field, one player we need to talk about that was on the field, who seems maybe to be getting on some fans' nerves now after some mistakes, and that's Jordan Pickford. He had the mistake that led to the Newcastle penalty, which he then saved, but he should have done better on the initial shot there, that or an initial shot that led to Newcastle's second goal. Um, he had a few other mistakes. And, yeah, yeah. Calling, calling it a mistake on the penalty conceded is really kind of underselling it, I think. Yeah. You know? Fair, fair, <laughs> fair. We had the, the, the purposeful tackle of a, of a, a rugby of tackle, a, rugby tackle. Let's make sure that we're clear about the nature of yes, that tackle. <laughs> yes. A purposeful rugby tackle on an opposing player, but you know, he looked one of his least one of it, one of his least or worst performances, worst performances, I should say, of the season. Where do you guys stand on Pickford right now? Because he's had his little mistakes here and there, hasn't cost us terribly in too many games. But this one, I think, this everything came into, uh, it came in at the same time, and it all just collided. You know, I think that. It's kind of really this match is kind of an encapsulation of of what he's been this season. He's a very very good shot stopper, uh, you know, among the best in the world at stopping shots. I think uh, it's been all of the other little things that have cost him. It's it's been his focus, and you know, you think about the the derby at at Anfield. Uh, he's had a few instances where he's passed guys into trouble, and it's created chances the other way. Now, obviously, the penalty that he concedes uh, in this one and his handling of rebounds. It, it's it's all well and good that he is a very good shot stopper. That is obviously you know very very valuable. Uh, but I think we're seeing more and more of the other aspects of his game uh, becoming error prone. And I'm not sure, you know, where, where you go from that. And, and I don't think that last year I, th- there was a ton of that. I don't think that no. this is, and, I, and, I think this yeah. is, is a new development. I do think it is a new development. I, I'm going to rehash a theory that I've, I've talked about a little bit on this show. And that's that I, I think the, the World Cup hero worship might be impacting this a little bit. Um, because, you know, Jordan's emotional and, and passionate to begin with. And, you know, he spent all summer getting, getting his tires pumped up about his performances for England and justifiably so. I mean, he was spectacular in Russia. Uh, but, you know, the three lines defense is, is quite a bit better than Everton's and Gareth Southgate's quite a bit better than Marco Silva. And it just doesn't all work the same way here. 
and I think an interesting an interesting illustration perhaps is we're not so far removed from the tenure of Tim Howard, who was also extremely passionate and extremely emotional in goal and would get angry and would gesticulate all over the place. But T- Tim always had a point. He reined it in and he he accomplished things with those emotions. And I don't see Jordan doing that. And I think that the fact that this was against Newcastle for a guy who's got Sunderland roots. Yeah, it didn't um, help. Yeah. Certainly, you know, speaks to to that theory absolutely that that he's had issues keeping his emotions in check because yeah, as as you've rightly uh, pointed out, <laughs> that that's been an issue. And and when you talk about he's getting, you know, he was getting booed on every touch, um, and and I think that there, he, I think he, it's strength in some ways to be able to take that behavior and use it to build yourself up a little bit rather than break you down. Uh, but, but obviously there's a balance between, uh, you know, taking it in stride and, and kind of having it be over the top in your reaction to it. Yeah. At, at, when he saved the penalty, he turns around and kind of mean mugs the crowd. And then later on when I think it was either Perez or Rondon missed, uh, missed an open net, he turns around and looks at the camera and like sticks his tongue out and grins. It's like, uh, okay, on the, on the one level, I think all, all three of us probably really enjoy that. I did. Yeah, I, de- I definitely did for like five minutes, and then I was like, shit. But, <laughs> you know, if you really drill down on it, I don't know how productive it is in one of these high-intensity matches. Yeah, and, and a lot of talk about maturity, immaturity, and him needing to grow in that aspect of the game, so I'm sure that definitely will play into that. And, and you know, who knows? Maybe this is the type of game that he needed – unfortunately for us, but I mean, I guess better now that there's really not too much left to play for than in a situation where there's a lot to play for. Uh, Maybe it's the sort of game that he needed to figure that out and, and, you know, really get, um, you know, get on himself after, after putting in a a performance like he did and kind of showing a little bit of immaturity throughout the performance. But um, I think it's safe. We can put this one to bed, move on. Stop talking about it for all of our sanity and then go back and talk about maybe some of the good things that happened um, in the past few weeks as we've not been um, uh, we've not been around for a while. So let's get right into that. We're just going to do some quick thoughts here, guys, and I just want to get some quick thoughts on some of the things that have happened over the past few weeks since we last talked and, and talk about where the club is currently standing. So start off the Marco Silva derby, Everton's 1-0 loss to Watford, what did you guys think of that and how things played out in that one, Chris? Start with you. It, it was friggin' atrocious. I mean, we kind, of, we kind of got played off the field. And the lasting memory for me for that one is, from that one is Kurt Zuma's red card like five minutes after the game ends. After, you know, yeah. the, one of the nicest and happy-go-luckiest guys at the club is just berating the referee and getting all up in his face after the whistle and gets sent off and has to miss the next match. And it's just like, that's, uh, that's pretty much how this season has gone. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's, that's spot on, you know, for me, the, the takeaway from, from that one uh, is something that I've already echoed because the same friggin' thing happened uh, this weekend that uh, it was a match where Marco throws out uh, Richarlison on, on the right wing uh, and he just kind of 
tries to play through him and him alone, and uh, that's a terrible way to play the game. And the result was that we barely created any opportunities all match uh, because he's just running Richarlison into the ground, playing a style that that is not conducive to his strengths. Um, so I, I think I, that, that stands out the most to me from that one. I also particularly enjoyed getting 90 minutes of attacking midfielder Tom Davis and only 77 minutes of Gilfie Sigurdsson when we were down a goal. Yeah. That, made, that makes a lot of sense. It was, and and then to with uh, with Tom cleverly on the other end, and you're going, hmm, I wonder who's actually better, Tom Davis or Tom cleverly. Don't at me, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there, I don't think there's like a winner to that question though. No, it's definitely not me because now someone's <laughs> going to yell at me because I raised it. But that's again, it's not the point. <laughs> I did yeah. get to see Gerard De La Feo again, so that was nice. That made me feel good. Uh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was definitely a frustrating loss for sure, uh, that Watford game. And, you know, it's certain things like you guys mentioned, some more managerial mistakes and, you know, starting to see maybe a little bit of a pattern in that sense and starting to raise some worries about Marco Silva. But the Merseyside Derby, we did draw in that as opposed to giving up a late goal um, in the 94th minute in the first meeting between these two teams. Um, hey, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Shout out Cardiff City for giving us something to smile about in between those two games, okay? That's very true, very much true. Re- much respect to that team. It's but, true, but also, I mean, if what I will say about Cardiff is this. A, Everton deserved to win. B, Everton did not outplay them by three goals to nil. I know no. that's what the final score was. Yeah. And if you think that, you know, that, that 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 is a fair reflection of what happened on the field for 90 minutes, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> no, absolutely. I can totally agree with that because, you know, if you watch that game, it was not a game that you expected to finish it with the depths that it did. Um, things just kind of – Gilfie Sigurdsson, good at the football. Uh, actually, apparently when he's, when he's getting booed by Swansea – Swansea City's rivals, he's just like, you know what, screw all you guys. That yes. that match that match also brought us the slaloming Adrissa Gay run through the midfield plus the nutmeg pass to Calvert Lewin at the end. That oh was fun. yes. Yeah, that that's, was that's that was nice. very nice. But guys, remember Adrissa Gay can't pass. Okay? <laughs> that's very important. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just going back to the Gilfie thing, I think if we have to put Cardiff City fans in the stadiums for every one of our games to get Gilfie to play like that, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I'll wear a Cardiff kid. I don't care. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I'll, I'll, be the, I'll be the first one to start that uh, GoFundMe. It's, it's so funny how, you know, you get a guy who is good at the sport, and then if you get him the ball, good things happen? It's like maybe all the time we should be actually – trying to get a good player the ball in the place on the field where he's good, I well, guess. I, I don't I, know. I think yeah, another I, criteria of that may actually be also playing him in the right position as opposed to not playing him in the right position, which is yes, not well, <laughs> oh. And, and the, two, the two goals from that match were the headline, but that was – you can – much like uh, Calvert-Lewin yesterday, you could have taken those goals away and it would still have been one of his most involved and active performances of the season. Um, Sigurdsson, that is, against Cardiff. Yeah. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, and it was, you know, three points made us feel good and then making us feel a little bit better, of course. Everton pulling you right back in. 
the Derby draw, holding, holding Liverpool scoreless at Goodison Park. What were you guys' quick thoughts on that? I think that the, uh, that the kind of the main takeaway on this one uh, is that, that we've seen a pattern this year where when Everton plays top six teams, if you take out the, the drubbing at the hand of, hands of Spurs that Ghana didn't play in, uh, for the most part, they've, they've played well. Uh, against the bigger teams, you know, I think a lot of it really has to do with the fact that Marco Silva has no idea how to break down teams who are sitting deep on him. And, you know, and it's a problem that we saw going all the way back to the end of the Roberto Martinez era. Uh, And it's very obvious that he does not understand which players he can and cannot run the offense through when we're playing against these uh, less talented teams. When Liverpool, when Chelsea, when whomever, you know, come to town and those teams are throwing numbers at us, yeah, you'll see Everton create two or three decent chances on the break because they've got pace and they've got players who, you know, who are dangerous in the attack when they have space to operate and numbers to operate. Uh, so we kept Liverpool honest from the start in that match with our attack the same way that we did the, the in the, the first time that the teams played. Uh, and you just, it's frustrating to see that performance. And then, you know, we talked about the Watford match earlier where obviously Liverpool is much more talented than, than Watford, but you'd probably argue they had better chances against Liverpool than they did against Watford. And, and that's the, uh, the reverse Jordan Pickford issue where he's in a high, a high pressure match and plays his balls off. Like, you you can see the good that can come from his his emotions and his his perspective on things, and it's like why you let the Newcastle fans get to you, but not the Liverpool ones. Yeah, it's God. That's a you know, it's it's a good question that you raised there, and it's we you know certain guys play to play up for the competition, and maybe in a game you know where. You know, you're playing Newcastle, and, and that competition isn't as good as a, you know, a Liverpool or or a, or a City. You know, you're you're a little less focused for that. I mean, it's something that's certainly possible, and something that certainly could play along with the immaturities of you know being a 25 year old goalkeeper who, you know, has his or doesn't really know how to control his emotions in the right manners and whatnot. You know. Yeah, and one thing um from from the Liverpool match that I want to highlight as well is that Michael Keane has really made made a big strides this season in terms yeah. of his overall quality and level of play and I I think even to the point where at least on the right the right side of the the right sided center back that's he's probably got that locked down for the foreseeable future and and that's refreshing because you know he's he had the bizarre foot infection for a while and that he fractured his skull and it was like he wasn't playing well and you didn't know if it was him or the system or the injuries and he's pretty much put all that to bed and he kind of punctuated by that last ditch tackle on Mohamed Salah yeah and and you're you're absolutely right I think he's probably been one of the most improved players that we've seen this year from last year's team he's been you know rock solid and like you said you know, he probably saved us a point in, in this game uh, a couple times in the Liverpool game, which is, you know, he, he's been fantastic. He's been a rock back there for the most part. And it's good to see that from from a player that, you know, 
things didn't go so well at you know certain points of his career here at Everton so far, but it seems like things have finally figured themselves out. It's a a bright spot in this Everton team who's had a lot of not bright spots uh, over the course. <laughs> That's of the putting season. it diplomatically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you know a couple of things with the lineup just to go over real quick, guys. The amazing reinsertion of Morgan Schneiderlin, who. I guess, you know, Marco Silva realized was still on the team and decided to include him again and, you know, didn't have uh, a bad showing when he when he has played for us. I'm you not know, I'm he, not here plays, to come. He plays, you know, uh, basically two full matches almost. He came off late against Liverpool, but mm-hmm. uh, we we didn't give up any goals with him on the pitch. Uh, he set up the play that led to the first goal against Cardiff. And he's basically the exact same player that he's always been. Uh, I have no idea why Marco decided at, at this particular moment in time, oh, let's put Schneiderlin in instead of, you know, over the festive period when it looked like Andre Gomes might die. No, we'll, we'll play him then, but we'll bench him now. But Schneiderlin is who he is, and he's been in the Premier League long enough on three different teams to basically know who the guy is. He's going to give you pretty good defense, but he's slow. His positioning will be good to make up for that lack of speed for the most part. He's a good, not great distributor out of the back, and that's pretty much it. So why in this moment in time that was the choice, I don't know, but it's nice to see that you know he, he still uh, got it. He still got that same level of, of game that he was showing when he got opportunities at the start of the season, especially given that, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Andre Gomes uh, at the end of the day. And so that, that is comforting amidst the sea of other concerns from this week. Yeah. And, and certainly also, you know, having that option to take Gomes off if you need to, or give him some rest as opposed to, like you said, running him into the ground. Always good. Chris, anything on that? Uh, Adam kind of stole my thunder. I was, I mean, I was just going to say that I, I really don't understand what changed in between the Watford and the Cardiff matches to where all of a sudden Schneiderlin was a viable option to start. That doesn't really make any sense to me, especially since you're going to be on the front foot against Cardiff and you would assume that that would be a better role for Andre Gomez. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm glad to see Morgan back. I like the guy. I think he's always gotten kind of a, an unfair reputation um, at, at Everton, but at the, at this point, you, maybe uh, maybe the play is to shut Andre Gomez down so Barcelona don't see how he's still good and just play Morgan for a while. That way, we'll get Andre cheaper. And, and, you know, I think that we do have to say, obviously, um, Andre was was very good at the start, and he looked a, you know a little fatigued over the the holiday period, and, and you know he's mostly kind kind of back in, in the groove of things, but I still don't necessarily know if I'd say he's hit the highs uh, that we saw with him at the start of the season. Maybe that's us just kind of normalizing who he is and the fact that we needed someone like him at, at that point. But I, I'm not – I would still 100% take Andre Gomes back next season on yeah, a permanent going wouldn't. forward. I- I agree with you. I just wouldn't pay the $40 million that I was suggesting after the, you know, his third appearance or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you have to understand then if that is the case and if that's, you know, if that's what the price tag is going to be and, and, 
Silver or Brands or whoever the hell is running the funny farm uh, at that point uh, says, you know, we're not paying that. It's, it's it's good to it's good to have Schneiderlin uh, as an option. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to finish this quick section up here and, and, you know, finish up anything we've missed. One player who we've seen on the bench once again, Ademola Lookman. A lot of people confused as to kind of where he's standing with this club right now. You know, hasn't been starting too much over the past few games um, or, or really, you know, in a while. Um he hasn't really – I don't think he's shown us any reason why he shouldn't be, you know, given an opportunity um, to maybe start or, or come on as the first sub. Um, but Marco has kept him on the bench, and, uh, you know, that – I don't know what that means moving forward, but what are you guys thinking about this this benching of Lookman and what it means for him and what it means for the club now and moving forward? I I mostly just feel bad for the guy, I think, is my initial reaction, because obviously we, we've been through the, the song and dance about how he wanted to leave and how good he was at RB Leipzig and these kinds of things. And he really turned it around. He got back into the team. He looked like he earned Marco Silva's trust. And then Marco just kind of pulled the rug out from underneath him. And you can kind of see how the, these continuing types of developments – would disenfranchise you a little bit. He hasn't, every time he's been on the field, he's not really placed a foot wrong. And I don't understand, especially considering the decline of Theo Walcott, what Lookman has done to deserve this. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think by the time we get to the end of the season, if, if this, uh, the state of things remains the same, uh, if, if he were to come out and, you know, throw a temper tantrum and say, you know, I want to be sold, I'd be hard pressed to, you know, be able to put him in the role of a villain in, in that, if that were to develop, because he's, he's been good when he's played. And, you know, there's no reason why he can't be getting more time than he is. You know, he missed out over the holiday period with that, that ankle injury. And, and Silva was very quick to say, Oh, you know, he's injured. He's injured. He's injured. He's injured. He, he comes in. He gets an assist against Bournemouth. He goes the full 90 the next week against Southampton. And since then, we've played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches. And he's played 50 minutes over seven matches. What what, what changed between now and then? And, and who knows? Maybe Silva has had a communication with Lookman where he's made clear, you know, this is what we're looking for. This is the issue. Or, you know, I'm going to give you time later in the season and we need to sort out A, B, and C before then. And if so, then that's fine. But you, you don't get the impression necessarily that Marco Silva um, knows what he's doing in terms of anything. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I think that's the case. And and in a situation where, you know, Everton has said that they want to, you know, focus on the youth and focus on some of the younger players they've had, and you're still playing a, a Theo Walcott in a role that he hasn't been overly impressive in and, and in a role that Lookman has looked very good in. And it's it's just confusing. It seems that, you know, moving Richarlison or putting Richarlison and Bernard on the field at the same time, all these things, it's like, 
they're trying everything they can to not put him on the field. And, and um, I and, think you you make a good point about you know that, that there was the the report about that that there was going to be a concerted effort from inside the club uh, to to play the young players and and really get a sense of of what what they're going to be about going forward. And we saw what John Joe started two matches over Sheamus. Tom started two games in the center of midfield. Ade didn't start at any point uh, in in that those matches after those comments came out. Uh, Dom seems to have supplanted Schenk, but I don't necessarily n- n- think that, you know, I think his performances are speak for themselves. Okay, no, well, that's the that. thing, right? Calvert-Lewin's the, the one who has proven himself to be capable outside of Lookman, obviously. And then they haven't, uh, I mean, Tom Davis, other than getting inserted for onto the bench at, in an emergency this weekend, he's disappeared too, which yeah, I don't so mind, I, but. No, but again, it, it's, it is bizarre for that that kind of comment to come out and to see it happen for two weeks with you know three quarters of of the young guys that you immediately think of with this team and then poof it's gone and you just wonder yeah. you know who 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 is making these decisions and if it is Marco Silva as you'd suspect wh- what is he trying to accomplish and I think. I think maybe, you know, to kind of wrap up this, this section here where we're talking about, you know, what, what's happened while, while we've been away. I, I think the takeaway is that I still don't know what Marco Silva is trying to do. And it was something that we talked about multiple times, uh, in, in previous episodes that I just don't know what he's trying to turn Everton into under his, you know, his, his reign. And if, if there is a vision for that and he's having a, a hard time getting the players or the performances to go along with that, that's fine. That's something that's solvable, but well, and I think we're all remain, to be it remains very unclear what the goal is for the rest of the season and in the long term. Yeah. I, and, and there's nothing, the part of the frustrating thing, at least for me personally is we don't have any evidence we could look back on and say, oh, this is what Marco Silva's done at past clubs. We can wait. I'll be patient with this. He's going to figure it out because he did X, Y, and Z at Olympiacos or at Hull City or at Watford or wherever. He was in and out of those places really quickly. And, you know, in Watford's case especially, they've gotten a lot better without him. Yeah. You know, and it's and you certainly don't look back, you know, even – Given his relatively successful, though short, uh, tenures at at Sporting and at Olympiacos, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't necessarily take a whole lot away from a manager performing well at a club that is historically among the best in yeah. its those, respective those leagues. Are just so you know, shallow, at, and we'll we're going to get to talk about Maurizio Sarri <laughs> in a minute about uh, <laughs> whom you could probably make the same the same claim. But, you know, it's there's a big difference between being a big fish in a small pond in, you know, in Portugal or in Greece and being a mid-sized fish in, you know, arguably the biggest pond in the world uh, here in England. Yeah, all definitely interesting uh, look on it there, you know, look on, on you know, it's, it's hard to tell what we're going to get. And, you know, we you would think that, you know, even though the season – there's not much left to play for. We'd start to figure some of that out, and, and with 
only a handful of games remaining still have not. And that's a little bit concerning, I'd say, for a lot of Everton fans. But like I said, moving on to Chelsea, uh, which is our next match. Um, let's just talk about them for a second. Since the Kepa incident, the infamous Kepa incident and the loss in the Carabao Cup final, Chelsea's been, they've been looking pretty good. They've been looking all right. What do you guys think of this Chelsea team and are they able to play their way in the back fourth into the, into the top four? Currently sitting six, three points out of fourth place and they have a game in hand over the other teams that are ahead of them. Well, first of all, um, I think that at least Adam and I could probably do a whole episode on the Keppa sorry incident. Oh God. <laughs> it's so good. Breaking that so, tape down. It's just so much fun to watch. When you're the fan of a dysfunctional football club, or in my case, multiple dysfunctional football clubs, we won't go there. Uh, It's so fun to just watch a catastrophe unfold right in front of your eyes the way it did in that Carabao Cup final. I was just sitting on my couch cackling because you couldn't believe it. You could not believe that that could actually happen in a game <laughs> at this level. It was a delight. I, for me, the best part, and, you know, we're getting sidetracked, but, hey, it's been a while since we recorded, so we'll go two hours if we want to. Sorry. <laughs> 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 the, the best part is just, like, David Luiz and Cesar Aspilicueta are just like, nah, I ain't getting involved. Figure it out. <laughs> Murcio Sorry is a person who exists. That is the most that I'm willing to commit to about Maurizio Sarri's ability to manage a football team. Uh, He has done it before. I'm relatively certain he still is technically alive. Yeah. So, you know, good on him for being true. (laughs) Uh, Give give Maurizio Sarri's Wikipedia page a glance this week and and just take a look at his uh, the teams he's managed in the past. You mean Napoli and a whole bunch of third division uh, sides in Italy? Yeah, I I need to find like some sort of oral history about how Napoli dug him out of those spots. Yeah, let's let's put it this way. I've just pulled up his um his Wikipedia page for fun. Um, the <laughs> first three teams that he managed from 1996 to 2000, which is a lot of bouncing around in three in you know four years to be a three team. Uh, they don't even have Wikipedia pages, I don't think. So it's not good. It's not good. Anyway, that's Maurizio Sorry. But yes, the, the question was, you know, do they have the, the staying power to, to win out a spot in the top four? And, you know, I, I think that the top three at this point are, are relatively secure. You feel like it's one and two are going to be some combination of City and Liverpool. Spurs will probably stick in three. And then it'll be one of United, Chelsea, and Arsenal um, in in fourth. Well, Arsenal are only one point off of Spurs at the moment. Yeah, but I don't trust Arsenal worth anything. Uh, that defense will continue to ship goals until we're all long dead. So I... I Anyway, you know, yeah. it used to be it used to be a running gag that we wish we had uh, Mustafi at Everton, and he was like a lost a lost opportunity. Uh, I, th- I think I might be taking a pass at this point on that. Yeah, David Moyes might have known something about that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, the the thing with with Chelsea is is twofold. I think um, 
their midfield remains kind of, I don't really know what. We're going to talk about that in a bit. And, and obviously the other thing is uh, is that they weirdly dumped Alvaro Morata and, and picked up uh, Gonzalo Higuain for for reasons, uh, reasons. And and when you look at the other teams that, that they're going to be fighting for, fighting these for uh, fourth place, you know, you, you look at Arsenal, and, and Arsenal's got Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and, and Alex Lacazette, United's got Marcus Rashford and, and Romelu Lukaku. I, I don't know, even if you call their defenses a, a wash, because I'm not really enamored with the defense on any three of those teams. Uh, I, you look at up top for me, I'm just not convinced that Eden Hazard's going to, you know, continue being the only guy scoring goals for Chelsea and that it will work out for them. Um, Gonzalo Higuain, speaking of, missed, uh, missed the sitter today right in front of the net. I don't know if you guys saw that, but it was, uh, it was pretty blatant and kind of, it made me laugh a little bit just because he, he has that reputation and it's like, you now we have to watch it week in, week out. You could, <laughs> yeah, you could have just let Murata miss that. Like, yeah. Without uh, I, I, there's there's surely a really good Federico Iguain uh, joke in here. His half brother who plays for Columbus in MLS. When I figure out what it is, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of going back to Sari, you know he's made some interesting decisions over the course of the season, and I, I think the biggest one is you know the moving of Angolo Conte out of his typical position and. And really has created a very strange midfield situation that they have there. And, and it was, um, like that earlier in the season when these two teams met. But has anything gotten any clearer for them in that certain position and that midfield, uh, you know, since the last time these two teams met? No. No. No, it hasn't. <laughs> yeah. So cool. And Golo Kante, as you mentioned, is still playing in that um, kind of, to, for lack of a better term, we'll call it the eight position when, you know, he won a World Cup as a six and won a Premier League as a six and played for Antonio Kante as a six. And Mateo Kovacic and Ross Barkley have, well, Kovacic has 2,300 minutes this season. Ross Barkley has 2,266 minutes this season in that spot just ahead of Kante and Jorginho. I think Maurizio's a little confused. Well, you know, I, I think he was. Uh, surely he's looking at his at his midfield and thinking, well, I know I want Angolo and I know I want Jorginho. So, uh, how you know, how do I figure out what the third midfielder that needs to go along with those guys is? When really the situation is that you really probably only want one of Angolo and Jorginho. And it's not the one that they just signed for Napoli for big money at the start of the season now, is it? No, um, no. So I, I think that it remains, again, when we're talking about this team's uh, ability to to crack the top four, um, I think that there are issues in midfield uh, for all three of those contenders, Arsenal, Chelsea, and United. Um, but I think Chelsea's are, are almost in some ways self-inflicted because they've committed themselves to to Jorginho for, for better or worse. You know, you sign that guy, especially given that he played under Sarri in the past, and you're going to commit to him once you've made that decision. Uh, and, and not that I think he's a bad player. I just don't – he's not good enough to move N'Golo Conte from where he's at his best. 
And, and neither yeah. Mateo Kovacic, who I think is a decent footballer, nor Ross Barkley, who I don't, don't think is a decent um, footballer, yeah. are, are going to, you know, are going to provide anything that, that negates that issue. Yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've watched a, a reasonable amount of Chelsea matches this season, so that, uh, that I believe makes me some sort of expert on some level. And what I'm seeing out of Jorginho is just like basically Italian Morgan Schneiderlin. He's, Which again, there's nothing wrong player. with yeah. being that. It's, it's not an insult, but he's played 3,300 minutes this season. Like, I think that's a little overkill. Yeah, especially when you've got Conte sitting there and, and you know, Chelsea has uh, eight, 18 million, I think is the correct number. They have 18 million players on loan. Go ahead, Google it. Look it up. It's 18 <laughs> million. So at, at least I, I say probably no five or six million of them are midfielders. Uh, well, and, and even closer to home, who's really lost out on in this situation is Ruben Loftus Cheek, who's uh, yeah. who's an excellent excellent player and proved this much in Russia and was excellent at Crystal Palace last season when, when he wasn't hurt, um, and kind of fits the mold of that player who you would want ahead of Jorginho and Conte over Barkley or Kovacic, and he's just not playing. So uh, you know, sorry came from Napoli as with a reputation of not rotating his players and boy, howdy, uh, that was true. He is committed to the bit at this point. Let, let's also pour one out for, uh, one of Adam's favorite players, Marcos Alonso, who is slowly, but very surely losing his job. Yeah. To, uh, to Emerson. Yeah. Which, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend to really know who that is. I'm sorry. Which guys. I mean, well, that, <laughs> that kind of, it, it's its own, uh, it's its own commentary that you go, Oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember him. He came from, uh, 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 and then you give up because you realize you just, you just don't care. Yeah, I don't care at all. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I know him is because I believe he came. Yeah, from did you Roma. sign him in FIFA once? Cause no, I believe he came from Roma, and I also happen, you know, if we're talking Italian soccer, soccer here. Happened to support them, so that's the only reason I have any idea who he is or why he plays soccer. And to be fair, you did say that you were pretty sure. Now you're right; he did <laughs> come fair. from Roma, that's but fair. you didn't immediately jump in and go, "Guys, guys, it's okay. I know where he came from." You said, "That's fair." I think he was at Roma. He was, that's but fair. again, and not you know, Roma is a perfectly good football club as well, um, but he. He played not a super ton. He played uh, oh, yeah. 34 matches in all competitions over two and uh, change seasons before he moved to Chelsea last year. Mm-hmm. And he only played five matches last year. So uh, it's certainly not um, wowing you with, with anything immediately off the top there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And moving now to you know the last time these two teams met, 0-0 draw um, was a good result, but Everton really didn't threaten Kepa all that much, didn't have too many real big chances. What can Everton do? Adam, we'll go to you on this. What can Everton do to change, or, or what can they change to be better this time at being a better, a bigger attacking threat uh, when it comes to this game? They can tell Kepa that Sari has decided to take him out again and just see what happens. That's my best. No, um, I, I think we've just touched upon it. Uh, is that whoever is starting at left back, be it Emerson, be it uh, Marcos Alonso, 
I, I think that that is the the spot more than anything that immediately jumps out as as a weak point um, in in this lineup. Now, the issue there is that uh, I suspect that Marco will probably come back again this week um, with Bernard on the left and Richarlison on the right. Uh, even if you think that those are the two players that should be starting at wing, and that's a you know discussion for another podcast, uh, I, I would want to invert them because, again, I'd want to be playing through Bernard against their weakest defender, um, trying to get the most creative output uh, against the spot that you've identified as the weak point. I don't yeah. think that Marco will do that, but if you were going to, you know, if I was managing Everton this week, that would be my spot where I'd go. If if we're going to get, you know, uh, get more chances and try to take three points here, I think that's uh, as good a starting point as any. Yeah, I, I agree with Adam, and I, my addition to that would be I'd like to see Everton's midfield put Jorginho uh, and to a lesser extent either Kovacic or Ross Barkley under some pressure. Um, Conte's obviously on his own level and a little bit pressure proof to a large extent, but, um, other, other than Conte, you, I, yeah, I mean, I kind of like Everton's midfield in terms of talent and ability up against Chelsea's. And I think that there's an opportunity to force Jorginho into some mistakes and Antonio Rudiger and David Luiz are not flawless by any stretch of the imagination, except for Luiz's hair. And hey, I, I, you watch what you say about David Luiz. That's my boy. <laughs> I, I, my my point being that I, I don't think that Everton should excessively respect Chelsea. Um, they're better than us, and they they have a fair amount of talent. But we're not talking about world beaters here. They they're they're flawed in a lot of ways, and there's no reason that a result could be out of the question if everything went right. I don't. I'm not hopeful for that, but. It, you can you can squint and see how it could happen. Yeah, all, all, all fair points there, and it'll be interesting to see how Marco comes out um, on Saturday. See if he's made any tactical changes, any changes with the lineup, um, and see if any of that works. And um, maybe we can get at least a point out of this match here. But finish things up here real quick. Predictions, Chris. We'll start with you. Um. I'm going to say 2-1 Chelsea. I think their defense is um, poor poor enough individually that, you know, we we can sneak one through, uh, you know, we, either Richarlison or Sigurdsson because apparently those are the only two players who are left to, to score at this point. But I, I just don't see Everton having the cohesiveness and Marco Silva having the tactical know-how to, to get through this one with three points or even one point. So, Adam? Uh, I'm, I'm going to take another nil-nil. Uh, I think that the, the blueprint for, for Everton in these matches, uh, is out there. We, you know, it's, it's moderate pressure. It's mostly trying to play on the break, but without showing too much respect to, to the opponent. Um, and I don't, I'm not all that, that scared of, of Chelsea, uh, uh with the caveat that, uh, as long as Seamus Coleman is back, I do not want to see Adam Hazard against John Joe Kenny. Thank you very much. That's John Joe Kenny's mom doesn't even want to see that. No, no, especially John Joe <laughs> Kenny's mom because she probably yeah. still wants to be able to love him when the match is over. And uh, it might be dicey if he has to do that. Um, so again, it, it, as long as Coleman's in, we've got a relatively normal looking lineup. I'm not all that scared of the Chelsea attack. And based on the evidence that we've seen this year, I'm not all that confident 
in us putting up uh, a bunch of goals uh, against Chelsea either. So I'll I'll take another nil-nil, which will make us feel, you know, okay. We'll be like, oh, that's good, I guess. And then we'll go out, and I don't know who we've got after that, but we'll lose to them. It'll be some mid-table team, and we'll drop the points, and then we'll be right back here doing the same thing we always are. Yeah, after Chelsea is West Ham, so oh we'll yeah, that's yeah, a that's, lost fight. Oh, that's put it, on, put it in the bank put, now. Yeah, put it in Sharpie. Um, <laughs> quick question uh, before we get to Gino's prediction: uh, Schneider, or Gomez for for Chelsea? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I guess there's a temptation to say Schneiderlin because it was him against against Liverpool, and that you know worked out okay for the most part. Um, I I I guess I have to say Schneiderlin because I like his defensive positioning a little bit better. It, are you asking for my preference or what I think? Um, I'm asking what would you do? I would start Schneiderlin. I think I think Marco starts Andre because he has no idea what he's doing and there's no rhyme or reason for anything that he does ever. He played Morgan twice and that'll be the end of him for the rest of the season. I agree completely 150,000%. I would start Schneiderlin as well. I think I agree the same thing that better defensively, but I think that Marco is really, he he's a recency bias manager. So he sees a guy go out there, have a good game. And no matter who we're playing the next game, I feel like he just puts him out there and he's like, Oh, this worked last time. Let's see if it works again. So completely agreed. That's what I can see happening there. And then, uh, Chris, I agree with you on the 2-1. I think we get a goal, but I don't think we play well enough for a draw. We give up a couple goals that, you know, who knows how they go in, but it's going to be some mistake somewhere on the field that then leads to a second goal. And it's going to be Let's just say we did not concede directly from a set piece this week. So, I mean, hey, there's that. That's That's three weeks now, though. How about that? Yeah, that was three in a row. You're right, because Cardiff, too. Hey. Look at us. Gonzalo Higuain set-piece hat-trick incoming. Oh, <laughs> God. Kill me now. Oh, man. All right. Well, that's all we have for you guys here today. Adam, Chris, thanks as always. Hopefully this week will bring some form of happiness. I don't know what I'm saying. It's probably What not. is happiness? <laughs> uh, we will talk to you guys next week.